interrupted it to protect our president. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to go through life with a Secret Service agent beside you? Now, some of you are shaking your heads over here. You don't think you would like that. Well, I suppose it might be limiting in some respects, but just suppose you had a cadre of people around you whose purpose was to keep you safe. That no one would be able to come to you unless you agreed to it, and if anyone plotted against your life, you would be absolutely secure in their care. Well, actually, as children of God, we have something far better than that. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 is our study this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What we learn in our text this morning is that a genuine child of God is preserved for his heavenly inheritance. Believe me, that's far better than the Secret Service tailing you everywhere you go. Because they can fail. This doesn't fail. As we think about our security as believers in Jesus Christ, I'd like you to think with me first about the meaning of that security. The term that is used here is shielded, as is translated in the NIV. Some translations put it watched over, others kept. This term is a military term that indicates a guard that is done by soldiers. It is a garrison. It is the same word that is used in Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 where the apostle says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard, shall keep, shall shield your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. God tells us that we have a garrison about us that is protecting and shielding us for that coming day of redemption. Thus, I'm talking this morning in this SOS series about the security of salvation. When we talk about the security of the believer, we are not saying that a believer will never sin. We are not saying that a believer will never backslide. The security of salvation does not mean that a believer will never stumble and fall. It does not mean those things. But what it does mean is that a believer is secured in his position as an heir of God by the power of God. A believer is secured by God himself as one who is an heir with Jesus Christ. 
You and I are given by God the gift of eternal life. And there is nothing in heaven or in hell or on the earth that can keep us or prevent us from inheriting what God has promised to us in eternal life. The fact is that as believers, we can and do fall. But we fall into the arms of God. Dr. W.B. Henson was a leader of the Christian church in the early part of this century. In fact, there's a church in Portland named in his memory called Henson Memorial Baptist Church. On one occasion, he said in a sermon that the believer is secure. And a lady came to him after the service with this remark, I'm very much afraid I might fall. And he said to her, well, then why don't you do it? She was alarmed by that response and protested and said, where would I fall to? He said, you would fall down into the everlasting arms of God. And he went on to her to say to her, I have read in the Bible that his everlasting arms are underneath his children. And you know, I believe that if you fall down upon those everlasting arms, it is sure and certain you will never fall through them. We are secure in the arms of God. More secure is no one ever than the children of the Savior. When we talk about the security of salvation, we are saying that a genuine believer in Jesus Christ is shielded, he is protected, he is kept by the power of God for that salvation that has been promised to him. And there is nothing that can interrupt that plan and program of God. What are the means of the believer's security? If that's the meaning, how does God do this? What is the means of the security of the believer in Christ? Well, there is both a human and a divine dimension to this. Finally and ultimately, it depends upon God. But Peter points out to us both a human and a divine element in the means of the believer's security. Notice how he puts it in verse 5. You who through faith are shielded by God's power. That's the human side. Through faith you are shielded. By God's power. That's the divine side. The human side is that you and I are kept by God for our salvation through faith. The fact is that God does not keep unbelievers. He only keeps believers. But that may shake up somebody here who would say, but what if I fail in my faith? I've got good news for you. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will not fail in your faith. You may fall, you will never fail. You may stumble, but your faith will never catastrophically collapse. It will not. That is the grace of God working in your life so that you will continue to believe. That's what I was talking about last week. And that one of the signs of a believer is a faith that matures, a faith that perseveres. 
You and I are kept for our salvation in the future through our faith. And that faith will never fail because God is working in us to preserve it and us. But then we are kept also by God's power. We are kept by faith and through God's power. This is the divine side. And the wonderful truth is that each person in the Trinity has a part to play in our being guarded by God. In this very context, we have what God the Father does. Look back in verse 1, where Peter introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then gives his salutation, his greeting. He says, To God's elect... Strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What is the role of God the Father in keeping me? It is the Father's purpose. God the Father has purposed that one day I will be with Jesus Christ in heaven and will inherit with him the fullness of salvation. He has chosen me in Jesus Christ according to his foreknowledge. Now that foreknowledge means more than that God knows something ahead of time. It means that God purposes it in advance. We have been chosen in Jesus Christ, we who are believers, we have been chosen in Jesus Christ according to what God has purposed ahead of time will take place. How do I know that I will be kept? Because God's power is working according to the Father's purpose. And His purpose is that one day I will be with Christ. Let me take just a moment to turn us back to Romans chapter 8 where we find this same truth beginning in this familiar 28th verse. What was it that gave Paul such assurance about life and its circumstances? He says, we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things. Now, what gave him such assurance to say that? He says, we who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. To be glorified refers to that final element of our salvation, that final point when we will be with Christ and be like Him. And Paul says God's purpose is so secure that it is as though you were already glorified in His presence. That being true, we know that all things work together for our good. How do I know that I will be kept and preserved? I know because of God the Father's purpose for me. What about God the Son? What part does He play? Well, it mentions in verse 2, obedience to Jesus Christ, the sprinkling of His blood, but 
in order for me to make this message work, I had to find a P to go along with the Father's purpose. So I'm choosing something else, and that's the Son's prayer. How do I know that I will be kept secure? Because of the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back with me to the Gospel of John, to the 17th chapter. And notice what he prays. Father, I want those you have given me, there's the Father's purpose, you see, choosing us to belong to Christ. He says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. I am confident of my security in Jesus Christ, not only because God the Father has purposed it and by His power is going to bring about His purpose, but I am confident because of the prayer of God the Son who said, Father, I want all of those that you have given to me to be with me one day in glory. God the Father, by His power, is going to answer the prayer of His Son. I think this point has special meaning to Peter. You remember that Peter failed our Lord. His faith failed. But Jesus had said to him in advance, Satan has desired to sift you, but he says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. Now, Peter's faith failed in the moment of test. But the answer to Jesus' prayer came in the fact that Peter repented of his disobedience and came back to loving devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know that my faith is not going to fail because Jesus has prayed for me? And one day, God the Father is going to answer that prayer. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, a third P in our P patch. The Holy Spirit's pledge. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included, verse 13 of Ephesians 1, you also were included in Christ... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit's pledge guarantees to me that I am secure in my salvation. I have been marked with a seal. A seal denoting ownership. A seal denoting genuineness. You can go to Washington, D.C. on vacation and go to a souvenir shop. And here you've got a, a beautiful little piece of uh, ceramic that is in the shape of the Capitol building. And you think to yourself, boy, I want to have this. 
This is something from Washington, D.C. It's going to remind me of this vacation. And so you plop your money down, probably too much. And you put it in your sack and you take it to your hotel room and you get it out and you look at it, you admire it, and on the bottom you see, made in Japan. Genuinely Japanese. God has put a seal on you that says you are genuinely heavenly made. You are genuinely born again into his family. You belong to him. We have the pledge of the Holy Spirit, a, a deposit guaranteeing that the full amount is going to be received in the future. God has given to us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our salvation. God is not going to lose his down payment, believe me. So what is the means of my security? Well, the human side is that it's my faith. I keep believing, and I do, because I'm a genuine believer. But the greater truth is the divine side, where each person of the Godhead is involved in powerfully preserving me for my heavenly destiny. Isn't that a wonderful thing for we who are the children of God to enjoy? Finally, I want you to think with me about the magnitude of the believer's security, its meaning, its means, its magnitude. He says that we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We have our salvation now, of course, in one sense, but there is another sense in which its fullness has not yet been experienced. There is yet an aspect of redemption that we who are here have not experienced, and that is that culminating aspect when our bodies will be changed and we will be caught up to be with the Lord. That was what Ephesians 1.14 says that we are guaranteed one day to experience by the Holy Spirit's down payment. It is that fullness of redemption that will come when our bodies, these earthly tents in which we live, are changed to be like Christ's. The magnitude of the believer's security is this. It is a security that is not limited to our lifetime. It reaches into the future. There are people who are dead today, who are buried, who are with the Lord, but their bodies are buried, who are still nonetheless guaranteed that their bodies will be raised from the grave. The magnitude of the security of their salvation involves a preservation that is beyond their lifetime, which lasted for however many years. And the same is true for you and me. If the Lord does not come in our lifetime and we die, the security of our salvation is not affected. It goes beyond our lifetime to embrace things yet in the future, in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. This security is not limited to our lifetime. Secondly, this security is not limited to the good times. It's not limited to just the good times of life. In fact, Peter is writing to people who are suffering. That's why he talks about the trials that they're in, in the next few verses. It's tough to be a Christian in those days. It's tough today, too, if you're a Christian. 
Peter says that the security of our salvation is not resting upon good times. Indeed, our salvation embraces the trials of life. In the midst of its troubles, in the midst of its anxieties, in the midst of its disappointments, you and I can rejoice that our salvation is secure. Our salvation is not limited by lifetime. It is not limited by good times. The magnitude of it is that it stretches into eternity. Dr. Paul Enns writes, The eternal security of the believer by the grace of God is the completion and crowning glory of God's plan of salvation. Peter says that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. An inheritance that is being guarded by God in heaven for we who are being guarded by God on earth. There was a man by the name of Jack Worm, W-U-R-M, who in 1949 was out of a job and broke. He was penniless and walking along a beach in San Francisco. As he walked, he came across a bottle that had washed up on the shore with a piece of paper in it. And so he opened the bottle and read the piece of paper, and it was, in fact, the last will and testament of a woman by the name of Daisy Singer Alexander, who was heir to the Singer sewing machine fortune. The note read this, To avoid confusion, I leave my entire estate to the lucky person who finds this bottle and to my attorney, Barry Cohen, share and share alike. Well, the courts investigated this and they found out that apparently 12 years earlier, this woman had written out this last will and testament, placed it in the bottle, and had thrown that bottle into the Thames River in London. It had drifted around the world until finally it came upon that beach in San Francisco. And the discovery of Jack Worm led him to inherit $6 million and a great deal of Singer stock. Now can you imagine that? Here you are penniless and all of a sudden you are heir to a fortune. And my friend, if there isn't a better picture of salvation, I don't know of one than that. Except it's not by chance. We who are penniless and bankrupt in our sin, who have nothing but damnation to look forward to. Suddenly, suddenly, by the great mercy of God, are born into his family and given an inheritance that reaches into eternity. And God gives us a secret service to watch over us all the days of our lives and keeps us so that there's nothing that can prevent us from one day being there and inheriting with Christ all things. What a marvelous thing God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, is that an inheritance that you have? I hope it is. Have you experienced the new birth? You say, well, I, I don't know if I have or not. I, I don't know if I can believe. Well, if you will to believe, you can. There's nothing keeping you from it. You say, well, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. Well, you can know, believe on Jesus Christ, and you are. It's that simple. Nothing mysterious about that. 
And if you have believed on Jesus Christ, and this morning your heart percolates with the joy of security that belongs to us, what does it mean? Well, just look down the chapter a few verses, to verses 13 and 14. Because there are some ramifications of this for your life and mine. It is not merely enough that we rejoice in this truth. There's something that comes along with it. He says, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. I see four commands given to those of us who are secure in our salvation. The first one is to prepare our minds for action. There is to be a deliberate alertness in the Christian's outlook of life. What does it mean to gird up the loins of your mind, as the King James Version puts it? Gird up the loins is an idiomatic expression from that early New Testament age. Oriental people, when they were going about a duty or they're going for a walk, would take their long robes and would put them inside the belt that was around their loins to free their legs so that they could move. It might be brought across into the English with the idiom, pull yourselves together. He's saying that you and I ought to have a deliberate alertness in our Christian outlook about life. Be vigilant, ready for action as believers because we're secure. Secondly, be self-controlled. There's to be a definite control in the Christian's decisions. Self-controlled. We're not to allow ourselves to be presumptuous because we are secure. We're not to permit ourselves to become lazy in our Christian experience because God is keeping us. There is to be a definite control about us in our decisions. We're to have sound judgment in all areas of life because we are God's guarded children. Thirdly, he says, set or fix your hope fully on the grace that's coming when Christ returns. A Christian is to have a distant look in his eyes. As we see things that are close up around us, the issues of life, and the events that take place in our world, as we look at those things, we are to have a distant focus. We're to be looking for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to set our hope on things in this world. We're not to set our hope on retirement. We can look forward to those days and trust that by God's grace we may enjoy some special things in life, but let's not set our hope on that. We're not to set our hope on gaining that position that we're longing for in the company. We may be able to use that for the glory of God, but let's not set our hope on it. We're not to set our hope on getting married or having children. 
If God wills, those are wonderful experiences in life. But we are to fix our hope on one thing, and that is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the grace that we will receive when we see him face to face. The change that will take place in us. The glory that we will inherit. We are to fix our hope on that. There's to be a distant look in the eyes of the Christian. And then he says, do not conform, but be holy. There's to be a distinct difference in the Christian's walk. The old way of life will continue to haunt us. It will seek to bring us into conformity to its evil desires. As long as we're in this world, we all experience that. But he says, be holy. Be holy. Be different. Choose to set yourself apart from those things. Choose to live a life that is distinctively different in the midst of a pagan culture. And as we do that, we will be clearly the children of a holy God. And so as we rejoice in the security of our salvation, let's just push ourselves beyond the comfort zone to understand that with that blessed comfort comes some responsibility that God calls us to in this world. I'd like for you to take your hymnal with me and turn to the hymn that I alluded to earlier. It's number 44. I'd like for us to sing. And we're going to sing just two or three verses of this wonderful hymn that speaks about the inheritance that we have. And oh, today, if you don't have the assurance in your heart that you are born into God's family as one of his children... There's not the security about your life that we've been talking about. You can experience that today if you will choose to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Open your heart to Him in faith this morning. And if you belong to Him, if you've done that and you're His child, and there is this living hope in you, and you know that this inheritance is being reserved for you and that, that God is guarding you, then let your heart swell with these words and let the commitment that he calls us to and the responsible living that accompanies security be the determination of your heart. Let's stand together as we sing. Hymn 44. Children of the Heavenly Father, safely in His bosom gather, nestling bird nor star in heaven, such a refuge was given. Does your life seem to be tossed? back and forth this morning in storms and trials. Listen to verse 3. Neither life nor death shall ever from the Lord his children sever. 
Unto them His grace He showeth, and their sorrows all He knoweth. Praise the Lord in joyful numbers, your protector never slumbers at the will of your defender every foeman must surrender let me share with you the thought of g allen fleece who said we are not in the world bearing witness to christ we are in christ bearing witness to the world Father, may the joy of that position of being in Christ be our motivation for bearing witness to the world this week. And as we walk about the course of our lives, your Spirit directing us, your power defending us, may we walk as responsible, obedient children of God with a distant look in our eyes. Amen.